I'm excited to share the lesson with you today. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. Most of you know that I love the book of Revelation. Matter of fact, I probably read through it several hundred times. And uh, in the last couple of weeks, I've been reading through Revelation chapter 10 and 11. And my, I think there's some exciting things that occur there. But at the same time, I call it the forgotten chapter of Revelation. You see, the book, The Revelation of Jesus Christ, is really about revealing who Jesus Christ is. It's about Jesus. Yes, I, I know it has a lot of future events, and, uh, and uh, it has a lot of incredible stories and scenes that have been even depicted in movies, and many books have been written about it. I've even tried to write a few myself. But the real truth is, all those are background, because really what it's trying to do is to reveal who Jesus Christ is. You see, when he comes this second time, he's going to crush Satan. Satan's our enemy. Satan's our foe. And when he comes, he will reverse the curse that was put on creation when man first sinned. And so when he comes, he's going to come in, in great power and wonder and glory. He'll come with life. He'll come with, with majesty. When he came the first time, he came in humility. He came to die. He came in a very humble way to very humble parents born in a very humble place. But when he comes the next time, he'll come with majesty and with power and greatness. Chapter 10, this, this forgotten chapter, is one of the shortest chapters in, in Revelation. And um, it often is skipped. Matter of fact, I was amazed as I read commentaries and, and other people as they comment on, on the revelation of Jesus Christ, the whole book. Sometimes they, they barely devote a page or two to it. But today, we're going to call it the quest for dominion. Because I see that this is one of the keys to really understanding the overall story of the book, The Revelation of Jesus Christ, and it certainly will be an important one as we look at the end time scenario as well. Now, when we come to our lesson today, I think it's important to know the setting. You see, in Revelation chapters 6 through 9, we have the beginning of the 21 judgments. Revelation 4, the church is raptured. Revelation 4 and 5. The church gets its first glimpse of God the Father in the throne, gets the first glimpse of the four living creatures, and, and, um, and we see the, the beauty of the throne and, and all that's in heaven. And then we watch as God the Father gives a scroll, the title deeds of the earth, to Jesus Christ. No one else was worthy. And by the time we get to the end of chapter 5, and all the world is in heaven is singing praises to God, and we've thrown our crowns at his feet, then chapter 6, verse one, he opens that first seal. And seven seals are opened. And after the seventh seal is opened, well, seven trumpets come sounding. And so the tribulation is on its way. Now, what is interesting to me is that between the sixth and seventh seal, we're going to find there's a space. And what we're reading today in Revelation chapter 10, it takes place between the sixth and the seventh trumpet. Daniel chapter 7 an Old Testament verse really describes what we're going to be looking at. And so I want to take just a moment to read that. Here's what it says. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. So different than dominions today. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. And so we're talking about the idea of dominion. You see, Here's a question, a good question. Does Jesus Christ really have dominion? And the answer is yes, he does. Matter of fact, you understand he has dominion right now. 
but he's delegated some of that dominion to others, sometimes to kings, sometimes to presidents, sometimes to, to governors or mayors or policemen or teachers. All of these are, are delegated dominion. But someday he's going to come back to planet Earth. He's going to, he's going to take all dominion back. And when he's done, there will be an everlasting dominion that he will have. So when we come to chapter 10, I really think that it's, it's what I call an interlude. It's an interrupt that takes place between the sixth and the seventh trumpet. Now, go with me to this interesting passage and this interesting story. And we're going to begin really with uh, a scene in Revelation chapter 10, verse 1. And I think here's the thing that's important is to ask, who is this angel? Chapter 10, verse 1. And it says, I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and the rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as though it were the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. He had in his hand a little scroll opened. He set his right foot upon the sea, and his left foot upon the earth. Really, it's going to be impossible for us to, to understand the, the true meaning of this story unless we can understand who this angel is. And so we're going to spend some time describing that, a mighty angel. And when he comes down, he establishes dominion. Here's how we know he establishes dominion. He puts his left foot on the earth. He puts his right foot in the sea, a, a wide stance. And when he's there, he's standing there in power. He's standing there in majesty and glory. And it's a scene that, that not just heaven's going to look at, but let me tell you, the earth is going to look at it. Now, remember I told you that in this little chapter that I've grown so fond of over the last several weeks, there's some very unique features, and here's one of them. One of the unique features is this, that in this book, it's written by John, dictated by God, written by John, and yet John is one of the main participants in the story. We're going to find that, that John is told by God to do certain things. For example, John is going to be told in Revelation chapter 10, he's going to see the mighty angel, he's going to eat a scroll. He becomes a participant in the whole process. And then when you come to chapter 11 of Revelation, John is going to be told to measure the temple. And that's when we're going to see that this mighty angel is going to have dominion over Jerusalem and Israel. Wow, I wonder who has dominion over today. Well, let me tell you, it's really Jesus Christ. But remember, I told you there's some delegated dominion, and that's taking place right now. And then we come to Revelation chapter 12. John is going to be the eyewitness to a war in heaven. And by the time it's done, dominion over all the heavens are going to be God's. You come to chapter 13. John's going to see the Antichrist. He's going to see the false prophet come. They're going to battle for, for worship on the Temple Mount. He's going to watch as, as this Antichrist marks people with a mark by which they can buy and sell. We, we've studied those things. But by the time you're done, we're going to find that dominion over the world is going to be gained by Jesus Christ. And so these chapters are in a little segment that we're going to be looking at, and this is really one of the introduction parts to this whole series. Now here's another unique factor of this chapter. In the Bible, it describes three woes. Matter of fact, go with me to, to Revelation chapter 8, verse 13. It says, And I beheld and heard an angel fly through the midst of the heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. So here comes an angel, 
And at the end of the fourth trumpet, with three trumpets yet to sound, he said there's three woes. What, what, a, what a story it tells. Here's why. Because you see, woe, matter of fact, sometimes I, I call it the, the runaway horse. Because can't you see this guy saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's, he's trying to hold the horse back from, from running and, and racing. And so it's the sound of warning. It begins in chapter 8, verse 13. He said there's three woes. Now, the idea of a woe is the fact that this something's going to come that's so horrible, so terrible, that it's startling to, to even the angels who are sounding it. But notice this, while it begins in chapter 8, verse 13, you go all the way over to to chapter 9, verse 12. It says, one woe is past, and behold, there are two more woes hereafter. So it takes that whole chapter, chapter 9, for one of the woes. Now, chapter 9 is quite a chapter. And I I say that because notice a couple things. When you come to chapter 9, we see that there's some creatures that come out of the bottomless pit. And when they come, they come to to hurt people and torment people in such a way for five months. And it says this, they have a a sting like a scorpion. They have a a face like a man. They have hair like a woman. They, They have large teeth like a lion. They have iron scales on them. They have wings and this this hideous tail. It's so bad that the sounds of the wing sounds like a chariot. And their poison was to hurt people for five months and so that people actually want to die. Matter of fact, it's described as this, hell on earth. That's the biblical description, hell on earth. These are creatures that come out of hell. Let me tell you this. If you think you're scared about events that are taking place on earth right now, you wait until this particular woe comes upon the earth. It's horrible. Fear will strike men. Verses 7 through 9, men will want to die. They they won't know what to do. Can you imagine living into this particular period of time? And then notice another thing. It says in verse 11, And they had a king over them who is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abandon, but in the Greek tongue with his name Apollyon. And so here he is. It means destroyer. Can you imagine a woe? when destroyer comes. Then, Revelation chapter 12, it says, one woe is past, behold, the second woe comes. You know what? It gets worse. You say, how can it get worse? Well, well, here's what the Bible says. All right? It says that the sixth trumpet is the second woe. And in Revelation chapter 9, verses 14 through 15, it says this, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, loose the four angels, which are bound in the great rivers Euphrates, And for four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. So when this particular sixth trumpet comes and the second woe, a third of all men die, two billion people will die in one single plague. Wow. All the way from chapter 9, where we're just reading this of the second woe, go all the way to chapter 11 now. In verse 14, and it says, The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe comes quickly. In other words, it's going to follow rapidly. My friend, at this particular time, there's going to be no slowdown of the judgment of God and of God taking, uh, I'm going to say, vengeance on the devil and establishing his kingdom. It will be an incredible time. So what a contrast when you come to chapter 10. Now, 
Another thing that I want us to, to look at is this. When you come to the seventh trumpet, it's the third woe. And there's an interval between the sixth and seventh seal, and just as there's an interval between the sixth and seventh trumpet. Go back and, and notice that. It's, it's quite interesting. But another thing is this. The seventh judgment is always the most severe. The seventh seal was the most severe. The seventh trumpet's going to be the most severe. The seventh bowl is going to be the most severe. And so this third woe, now it doesn't start until Revelation chapter 11, verse 14. Matter of fact, you know what? There's another incredible little story, another neglected part of Revelation that we want to look at in our program next week. I hope you'll, you'll join us because this thing is just so important. Now, with all that taking place, look at this. Things look so bad in chapters 6 through 9 that you might think that God has lost control. I think the world's going to say that. The world's going to say, wow, you know what? Where is God? I, I hear people ask that all the time. Where is God? It, when all this is going on, the, the COVID pandemic, the, the, the situations that occur in every country, the famines, the, the, the death that's occurring, the massacres that occur in Africa, where is God? Let me tell you this. God still has dominion, and he's going to claim it someday. And so with this in mind, I want you to realize, no, God has not lost control. God has total dominion. And he's going to claim it. He's going to take it back. And I think we're about to see it here on planet Earth. Now, let's go back in our study to Revelation chapter 10, verse 1. That's the background for this. And so here's John, and he sees a mighty angel come down from heaven. And so really the question is, who is the mighty angel? Well, how we're going to try to answer that, we're going to look at some of the descriptions that are there. First of all, notice his appearance in verse 1. It says that when he comes, he's clothed with a cloud. That's a, that's a great way to dress, isn't it? Clothed with a cloud. And then it says there's going to be a rainbow that he's going to be crowned with. And actually, it doesn't say a rainbow. The, the real wording is crowned with the rainbow. We'll talk about that as well. Next, it says this, that his face shines as though it were the sun. That's pretty bright. And his feet are like pillars of fire. Well, let me tell you this. There's many theories I've read a number of commentaries. I enjoy reading them. I don't always agree with what they say, but that's okay. I learn a lot from them. But here's what I think. I think that this mighty angel is none other than Jesus Christ. Because remember, the book is called The Revealing, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. And so how can we prove that? Well, here's how I'd like to do it. I want to start with this description. And the first thing, what about examples of clouds? Well, do you remember that the Israelites were led by a cloud? In the book of Exodus, when God wanted them to move, he would move the cloud or the pillar of fire. And wherever they wanted to know where's the presence of God, they'd look for the cloud. And so God's presence is often in the cloud. Or how about in, in the book of Exodus? Remember when Moses was given the law on Mount Sinai, and there was the presence of God, and the presence of God was, was shielded, covered by a cloud. Or how about in, in Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 4? Remember when the glory of God and the presence of God filled the temple. And when it did, a cloud was there really to, to shield people from the glory of God. That's how powerful it was. That's how majestic his presence was. And so, again, he's clothed in a cloud. Or I like this one. When Jesus was received up into heaven from the Mount of Olives to go back into heaven, he was received up into a cloud. And maybe this is my favorite one. Let me read you the several verses there because here's what it says in Psalm 104. Listen to this. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty, who covers thyself with light as a garment, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, who lays the beams of his chamber in the waters, who maketh the clouds his chariot, who walketh upon the wings of, of the wind. Don't you like that? The clouds are his chariot. Can't you see God riding a, a chariot cloud? And so, so all these things take place. Matter of fact, Matthew 24, everyone would say, okay, this is New Testament. This certainly speaks of Jesus Christ. And it says this, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. God has his Son appear in clouds often. Revelation chapter 1. Behold, he comes with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. And so I think that he's dressed like Jesus, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Or how about this idea? Remember another aspect of his appearance was this. It said this, that he had a rainbow. The rainbow was about his head. And what we know from Revelation chapter 4, verse 3, it says this, And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardis stone, and there was the rainbow around the throne in the side of the emerald. It was God the Father. God the Father had a, a rainbow. It was his headdress. And when you come to the mighty angel in Revelation chapter 10, he has a, a rainbow for his headdress. And so what does that remind us of? Well, remember, the rainbow had to do with God's covenants and God's promises. God makes promises. God makes covenants. And God keeps promises. And when this mighty angel come, among the things that he's going to do, he's going to reveal, reveal the fact that God does make promises, does make covenants, and he does fulfill them. Another aspect of this mighty angel was this, face like a sun. Now, let's think about that. First of all, think of the brightness, the incredible brightness of it. Well, I like Matthew 17, verse 22, the transfiguration. It says, and Jesus was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as light. And so the face of this mighty angel is just like the face of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Or how about the testimony of the Apostle Paul, Acts 26? It says, at midday, that's the brightest time of the, of the day, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. The Apostle Paul, at his conversion, he saw the face of Jesus. It, remember, Jesus identifies himself as Jesus there. And he says, why do you kick against the pricks? Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul knew that it was Jesus. And he saw the brightness above the brightness of the sun. Or Revelation chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. And by the way, everyone says this in Revelation 1 is definitely talking about Jesus Christ. Well, if that's true, then listen to this description. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shines in its strength. And when I saw him, I felt his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I'm the first, and I'm the last. And so the brightness of him reminds us of Jesus Christ. But there's yet another one, feet. Here's what Revelation chapter 10, verse 1 says. It says this, that his feet were like pillars of fire. And again, I go to the description, Revelation chapter 1, verse 15. 
the description of Jesus says this, and his feet likened to fine brass as they burned in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. You see, brass speaks of judgment. And so this is a picture of someone who's brilliant in judgment. Judgment was fair. Judgment was true. You see, the revelation of Jesus Christ, well, it's so different because, you see, when he comes at his second appearing, he's going to come in power and great might. And so now, with that appearance, here's what I conclude. I think this mighty angel is Jesus. And so now look at verse 2, Revelation chapter 10, verse 2. It says, he has a little scroll. He laid in his hand a little scroll. You see how it's passed on? And the scroll was opened. And so, so why a little scroll? Good question. Well, here's what I think. I think that because 13 of the 21 judges have already been poured out. And so that scroll is not so big as it was because some of those judgments have been, been laid upon the earth, brought to pass on the earth. And so that scroll of judgments, as he claims the title deeds of the earth, it's much smaller. And so here's what he does. He sets his foot, one upon the sea and one upon the land, dominion. He establishes dominion. You see, the sea represents the Gentile world powers. He'll have dominion over the Gentile world powers. The land in the, in the scripture, particularly in Revelation, it always represents the land of Israel. And he's going to establish dominion over the land of Israel. Now, if that's not enough to have the description of Jesus Christ, to have what, what he's going to do, to have this little scroll, the small scrolls that get smaller and smaller as the judgments go forth, watch this next one. Because here's what it says in Revelation chapter 10, verse 3. And he cried with a loud voice. Remember, Revelation chapter 1 said that his voice was like the sound of many waters. He cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars, and when he cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. Wow. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he's prevailed. And so here's this lion that's going to roar and take dominion. I remember... A long time ago in, in our city, we used to have the lion cage inside of a building. And I remember as a boy that, that sometimes you'd, you'd walk through there, and there were a variety of animals, and they were behind these bars, and you could walk close to them. But I remember watching the lion, and the lion spent most of the day sleeping. But when the zookeeper came out, and he would take buckets, and in those buckets he would have raw pieces of meat, and those buckets begin to bang against one another. That old lion that had been sleeping, all of a sudden he stood to his feet. He heard the buckets. He knew it was about time for him to get fed. And let me tell you, when he roared, it was a deafening sound in that building. Every person, every child, every, every man and woman, they quivered when that lion roared. And that lion roared several times as if to say, feed me first. Matter of fact, someone has even said this, that a lion always roars just before he eats his prey. So this description now of, of the mighty angel, he roars with a, a voice of a lion. Wow. Then God answers. And by the way, God the Father doesn't necessarily have to answer just an angel, but God the Father does answer his son, proving, I think, again, that this is the Son of God. This is Jesus Christ. This is the revealing of Jesus and not just an angel. And it says that there's seven thunders. What a statement of God. You see, here's the lion of Judah. Here's Jesus, and he roars. He announces, you know what? I'm about to take the prey. And 
heaven answers back with these incredible seven thunders. And let's just go a step further with this because it says this, that when the lion roars, the earth will quake. You see, I told you that, that Jesus is going to get dominion. I told you that about now, with all these judgments that are taking place, with the sea turning to blood, with, with islands disappearing, with mountains falling apart, with, with demons and, and uh, incredible things coming out of hell to, to sting people and, and to bite people and, and, and grass being burned up, they're, they're going to forget. They're going to forget that there's a God. And Jesus is going to come back and remind, oh, yes, there is a God. Joel chapter 3, verse 16. You're going to like this. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake, but the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. There's a, an example of exactly this time frame when God will roar. Jeremiah 25, verse 30. Therefore prophesy thou against them all these words, and say unto them, The Lord shall roar from on high, utter his voice from his holy habitation. He shall mightily roar upon his habitation. He shall give a shout, and they that tread the grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth will know it's God. My friend, that mighty angel, that lion that's going to roar, that's the Lord Jesus. You see, the, world, the world's beginning to think that suffering is the main thing, and they're going to find out very soon that, no, the main thing is still Jesus Christ and his dominion, his quest for dominion. And then in Revelation chapter 4, verse 4, it says this, that when the seven thunders had uttered their voice, I was about to write. This is John. Remember, I told you he's a participant in this. I was about to write. I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered and write them not. Now, what a story. Because, you see, if we compare this to Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, there God says, write these things. I mean, he tells John, write the things which you shall see that have already come to pass and things that are right now and things that will be in the future. He says, John, write these things. And now he's told, stop. Why would John stop? Why would there be such a change in order? Write them not. Here's why. What's going to come is too terrible to even announce here. My, my friend, do you understand that the, the dominion of God will be given back to God and he will crush Satan, he'll crush death He'll, he'll crush sin and all that's against him. What power he will have. Wow, this is a, a chapter of great power. And I can hardly, uh, to be honest, I, I can just hardly wait to, to have these things take place because it's going to be so wonderful to see the mighty power, the, the great dominion of God. And then I want you to notice chapter 10, verse 5. Here's what it says. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his hand to heaven. Now, what in the world could that mean? Well, here's what I think it is. I think that he raises his hand in victory. I think that, that when he's done with that roar and when heaven answers and when he comes with his brilliance, I think he's going to raise his hand in victory. You know, there's another time that the hands of God signal victory. And this time, instead of raising them, he stretched them out. <laughs> he stretched them out on the cross. Let me tell you, when Satan thought he had a victory over Jesus because he had him crucified on the cross. He lost the battle. He lost the war. He, he lost dominion. You want to know why? Because you see, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, for your sins, and he, and he broke the curse of death. He rose from the dead. He beat Satan. He crushed the head of Satan. And so I believe that 
He raised his hand in victory in chapter 10, verse 5. He stretched his arms out in victory on Calvary. Listen to, to Revelation chapter 10, verse 6. And swore by him that liveth forever and ever, who created the heaven and the things that are therein, and the earth and the things that are therein, and the sea and the things that are therein, that there should be no time longer. In other words, no more delay. This is going to happen so rapidly. All these things are going to come to pass. Now, Revelation chapter 10, verse 7. You see, when I told you that this was an incredible, exciting chapter, you, you see now what I mean. Verse 10, 7 says, But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God shall be finished, as he hath declared to his servants and the prophets. What an important time. You see, when this seventh angel gets ready to, to blow his horn, it's going to say that the mystery of God is finished. Now, what about the mystery of God? Well, the mystery in the Bible, the mystery in the Bible is something that hasn't been revealed up until this point. For example, the rapture of the church was a mystery in the Old Testament. It was revealed to us in the New Testament. Even the establishment of the church was a mystery, unknown in the Old Testament, but a, a called out people of Jews and Gentiles was, was a mystery revealed in the New Testament. The establishment of his kingdom, the details of it were a mystery in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, the details were given. And so here he says, the mystery of the kingdom of God is going to be finished. I like what it says, because remember when you go all the way to Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, when we come to the end of that third woe, here's what it says. It says this, the seventh angel sounded. There was great voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. So this mystery that he's talking about of the kingdom, the result is this. It will finish. It will, it will be established. There, there's no going back. It even says in Revelation chapter 11, 6 through 18, it talks about how that, that they're going to give thanks to God. What a picture. Matter of fact, here's a, a, an incredible representation of it. The four living creatures, a face like an ox and a face like an eagle, a face like a lion, a face like a man. The, the, the 24 elders sitting around the throne, the presence of God in the middle. My can't you see the idea that the mystery of God is completed? Now, with that in mind, and by the way, we'll come back to, to Revelation chapter 11. That's going to be the theme of our next lesson. Next week, some uh, unique things in, in verses 15 through 19 in Revelation chapter 11. I'm going to save that for then, but I want to go back to chapter 10. Because you see, when we go back to chapter 10, we still have part of the story. A few verses that are left. Revelation chapter 10 verses 8 and 9. And so now it says, The voice which I heard from heaven spoke unto me and said, Go and take the little scroll which is open in the hand of the angel who stands upon the sea and upon the earth. So God gave the scroll to Jesus. Jesus gives the scroll to John and he says, Take it and eat it. Now notice this. He says, And when I took it, he said, It was sweet in my, in my mouth like honey, but it was bitter in my belly. How, how could it be sweet and bitter? at the same time. Well, I think there is a way. Because when you look at this story, it says in verses 9 and 10, he said, I took the little scroll out of the angel's hand. I ate it. It was in my mouth sweet as honey. As soon as I'd eaten, it was, my belly was bitter. He said to me, thou must prophesy again about the many peoples, nations, tongues, kings. In other words, fulfill the remainder of the book. How could it be sweet and bitter? 
Well, here's how I think it can be. You see, it's sweet for those who accept Christ. It's sweet to see the promises of God fulfilled. It's sweet to see that, that God is going to judge sin. You know what? There's some, there's some accounts of sin that have taken place. There's some accounts of, of wrongdoing that have taken place, and God's going to judge him, and that will be sweet. His judgment will be righteous. It will be wonderful. It will be accurate. It will be honest and pure. And so it will be sweet because God will fulfill his promise both for blessing, for reward, and for life everlasting. But it will be bitter because of the horrible truth of the judgment for many. Wow. As we come to this part of our lesson, let me ask you this. It's your choice. It's your choice. Will it be sweet or bitter? You see, on the cross, Jesus took that which was bitter for me. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. I've sinned. I'm a sinner. I was born a sinner, and, and I've sinned. I deserve death. I deserve hell. That's a, that's a bitter thing to say. It's a horrible thing to say. The, the, the thought of going to hell, of being tortured in hell, you know something? I don't think people are even going to understand how much God loves them until they go to hell. And in hell, you're going to find out how much God loved you. He sent his son to die for you, to pay your debt. Jesus paid your debt of hell on the cross. You see, on the cross, Jesus took that which was bitter so he could make it sweet for us that would receive him. That's how something can be bitter and sweet. The judgment of God upon sin needed to be done. It's sweet because God's a holy, righteous God. We don't want to ruin heaven with sin. And so Jesus took that which was bitter and he took my sin. He not only took my sin, you understand he took your sin. He, he took the sin of, of not just us, but he took the sin of every single person living today. You know what? Not just the sin of every single person living today, but he took the sin of every single person who has ever lived. And all that bitterness was placed on Jesus. And Galatians says this, chapter 2, verse 20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And so the bitterness of our sin, the penalty of death, how bitter that would be, the curse of Satan, how bitter that was. On the cross, Jesus took that which was bitter. Why? So we could have that which is sweet. Today, it's your choice. Will you take the sweetness of God or will you take the bitterness of your sin? You see, has there ever been a time when you acknowledge to God, I'm a sinner. My sin is bitter to you. My sin should be bitter to me. God, I confess I'm a sinner. Number two, do you acknowledge that Jesus died for you? That he shed his blood, he died, he rose again. So that you could have that bitterness turned to sweetness. And number three, have you personally said, Jesus, I take you to be my Savior. My friend today, the judgments that we've been looking at, they could all be passed because Jesus has dominion and he wants dominion over your life as well as mine. Would you come to him today? Would you take the sweetness of God and give up the bitterness of the world? You could have it. Why? Because the mighty angel of Revelation chapter 10 that's coming for dominion is none other than the revealing of Jesus Christ. What a chapter this is. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I do. Thank you for being with me. I hope today you'll make a decision to receive Christ. I hope today you'll make a decision to live for that one who eventually will have dominion. He said that if we'll live for him now, we'll reign with him later. That's our promise, how sweet that is. If you would like to ask a question of Dr. Linstead and or Bible Truth and Prophecy, 
please email us at the Bible Truth and Prophecy, or BTIP as we call it, email address. That's BibleTipNow at gmail.com. B-I-B-L-E-T-I-P-N-O-W at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.